0: Good morning. Good morning. You can uh, set your map aside just for the moment. You'll need it a little bit later. Uh, we've come to the point to where it's pretty hard to talk about all the places involved without referring to a map. So we'll do that when we get to that point. <clears throat> In the meantime, turn to the Book of Acts, chapter nine. We'll pick up where we left off last week. You remember last week was the conversion of Saul and. Um, just again you're probably tired of hearing it but just another reminder the name of the book should be the acts of the lord jesus christ not the acts of the apostles we've been seeing him fulfill what he promised to do and that is to build his church and it's wonderful seeing him do it isn't it this is incredible this is wonderful history this this beats any world history book you'll ever read written by god about the acts of god but i just want to maybe uh pause and think a moment this morning about what it means when jesus said he would build his church i think often when we think of that phrase we think of numbers in other words people get saved and you get more and more christians and that's building the church now that's true but that's the very narrow part of it isn't it when jesus said he would build his church if all it meant that he's just going to you know add a bunch of people to this invisible body called the church then that would be the same thing as saying uh building a cathedral is nothing more than taking a bunch of stones and throwing them into a pile in fact that means you could just take a bunch of stones throw them into a pile and call it a work of art right which unfortunately they do that doesn't make it a work of art just in the case of building a cathedral we're likened to a temple aren't we the body of christ is likened to a temple uh, and each one is a is a living stone it's it's a lot more than just throwing a bunch of stones into a pile there's careful fitting and shaping involved so that when christ said he would build his church he was talking about a much greater broader deeper task than just saving souls he praise god jesus has a greater vision than we do he he has in mind not just a bunch of people sitting together and listening to some uh, talking head up front talk about the Bible. He's interested in bringing each of those people together in one body in unity and affecting the rest of the world for him. Nothing short of that. Uh, in fact, it's wonderful now that we've met Peter and Paul here in detail to be able to turn to their letters, isn't it? And read what they had to say about these subjects. So here's Paul's description of the vision of the Lord Jesus for his church. Listen to this. He's talking about how he gave gifts, spiritual gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. By the way, I love that phrase. You understand what it's saying? He gave gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints, all of us, for the work of the ministry everybody here has a backward collar on that's what that's saying everybody here is a minister male or female every single believer that's what he's saying every believer to be doing those see not uh one guy doing everything and everybody else applauding when his sermons are good you know for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ for the building up there's there it is building the church you see but here christ is using the believers To build the church up. That, that is so neat. Only God can do that. The entity itself is building itself up. Through His working. Till we, how long does this happen? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Okay, isn't that good? Isn't it good that Jesus sets His vision, His goals high? Praise God. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's His vision. For the church, so when it says he's building his church, it's more than just adding souls. It's building up, uh, in character, in maturity, in understanding, and ultimately in this section, in love. Edifying itself, he says, in love. That's the idea. He has in mind a group of people who love each other so much, as he said in John 13, the people will look and say, they belong to Jesus. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's his vision. So remember that when we talk about uh, we're looking at Christ building his church, it's more than just seeing people saved. It's more than just numbers. Uh, We've already seen it also includes geographical expansion from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other most parts of the earth. Again, a vision over the whole world. It also means um, what we saw this morning structure in the church it's not just a bunch of random bodies coming together there are offices elders and deacons and i think it's so wonderful that the lord jesus introduced that structure into the church by using once again a negative circumstance he's so good things look like they're going bad for the church he turns it around and turns it into a good thing what was it it was division remember the hellenist jews were uh, fighting with the, the hebrew jews and saying, look, we're getting deprived. You know, the Hellenists were saying, we're not getting enough stuff. And it it was we have to be very careful. God is not reactive. He's proactive. So what I mean by that is, He didn't just on the spot say, oh, no, we got this problem. What are we going to do? Oh, elders and deacons. That sounds like a good idea. God doesn't work like that. Okay? He had the plan all along, but He used that circumstance then To bring in this, this idea of deacons, men who would help in the practical affairs of the church to free up the elders to devote themselves to the word and to prayer, to the spiritual issues of the church. Wasn't that good? How he did that? Now, he could have done it right at the outset, you know, way back when they were just before the ascension. Okay, the church, here's the way it's going to be. We got elders, we got deacons, we got saints, you know, and here's the org chart and all that stuff. But he used a circumstance, and you say, why would he do that? Well, among other things, it was a good thing because the, the, the uh, brethren really saw the need for it, didn't they? I think they were even more compelled to uh, do that. So it's wonderful how he's building his church right in the midst of circumstances that seem to be working against him. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at, again, our focus as we continue going through this will we'll be to see how the Lord Jesus is building his church as we go starting in verse 23 chapter 9 of acts now after many days were passed the Jews plotted to kill him this is Saul but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket and when Saul had come to Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple But Barnabas, bless his heart, took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he, that is Saul, had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. Okay, Jesus is building his church here. You say, what? It says here that they're trying to kill him. In fact, it says it twice. First, we're up in Damascus. This newly saved man, Paul, is preaching. What did it say back in verse 22? But Saul increased in all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. All of a sudden, his former friends are now his enemies. So much so they're trying to kill him in verse 23 because of that. He goes down to Jerusalem and and, uh, they try to kill him there. Is this any way to uh, bring a new believer into the fold? Well, remember what Jesus said way back in uh, verse 16 to uh, Ananias. What did he say about Saul? I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake it's already started he didn't waste any time did he jesus didn't waste any time now it's not because he's getting his revenge on saul quite the contrary in fact we can see saul's later paul's take on this whole idea of his suffering and the purpose in his life many times he talks about it always rejoicing by the way but he recognizes that it's necessary for him. Among other things, helps keep the pride down, doesn't it? It's a good antidote for uh, self-confidence. To be constantly having to depend on the Lord, particularly when your life is in danger all the time. This is the way uh, Paul put it when he talked about the thorn in the flesh. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure there it is he recognizes the danger that existed in his own life of pride that's it lest i be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of satan to buffet me and he says it again lest i be exalted above measure he recognized the tendency he could have for pride concerning this thing i pleaded with the lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly i will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of christ may rest upon me therefore i take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in needs in persecutions in distresses listen to that paul says i enjoy them no he doesn't enjoy them in the sense you might enjoy a nice glass of cold lemonade on a hot day but he recognizes that they're from God and that they're meant for his good, and that's all he needs. And so he says, therefore I take pleasure in them for Christ's sake. Isn't that wonderful? We should have that attitude. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's wonderful. And of course, once again, when God speaks through his people, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's not. We said before, God chooses to use the weak, the foolish, To confound the the wise and the strong. That's his choice. And so even great men like uh, Paul. Who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. The great Hebrew teacher. A Pharisee. As he said himself. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As long as he's relying on that. God can't use him. He needs to be brought down. To a point of weakness. Then God can use him. And so that's how he uses these situations in Paul's life. To keep him weak and dependent on himself. So, Jesus is building his church because he's, he's molding his man, you see, who was soon going to be taking the gospel up to the Gentiles in uh, Asia Minor. Okay, well, <clears throat> it turns out that uh, as this plot evolved, it says in verse 24, their plot became known to Saul. That's not an accident. Even there, the Lord Jesus is carefully orchestrating events we saw it in the life of peter the lord jesus will always put a lid on events in our lives and only tolerate uh, what will meet his purpose and what we can stand okay we can always rest assured of that so when peter was first arrested they got warned and released next they got beaten later they got in prison he was allowing the events to unfold in his own good time the lord was until uh, finally he permitted the first death which was Stephen but that did not happen before its time it happened at the right time because then Jesus used that circumstance to spread the gospel so it's no accident the Lord Jesus has plans for Paul as we know read on in the book of Acts there's a lot for him to do and so the Lord is not going to let them get to him and so what happened was You can imagine these guys are watching the gates day and night. That's the only way in and out of the city. Remember, picture, this is Damascus, the capital city of Syria. Like Jerusalem, in those days, uh, it was dangerous to have a house just sitting free out somewhere barren. You're a lot safer behind walls in a big city. And so they would surround these big cities with walls, and the only way in and out were through the few gates that went around the outside. So it sounds like Saul's not going to be able to get out but what they did was they dropped him down in a large basket and you have to envision this you have walls all the way around but there are windows up high periodically around that wall sometimes windows of of residences or other rooms and what they did was they took paul up into the room with a window to the outside dropped him outside the wall outside the city and he got away and headed down to jerusalem good place to go huh Remember, that's where he started on his journey to go to Damascus to arrest the Christians. But he's a different man now. In fact, when he goes back, it said that uh, they avoided him. They were afraid of him. Understandable, right? Remember, the last thing they saw of him was him breathing out threats, you know, with letters in his hand to go bring Christians bound from Damascus and bring them back and, and put them in prison. So you think about it. Put yourself in these believers' shoes now in Jerusalem. Here comes Paul or Saul and he says, Hey, I'm a Christian now. Does that sound suspicious or what? (laughs) You know? Yeah. What a great way to get on the inside, huh? You know? Nab the ringleaders, find out who they are and where they live. Uh, No doubt, I that's what went through their minds. And we can include apparently the apostles in this because it says the disciples didn't want anything to do with him. And that's why I love dear Barnabas. We've already met him once back in chapter 4. Remember? Barnabas his name means son of encouragement. By the way, that was a name the the brethren gave him. His his original name was Joseph or Joseph. But they called him son of encouragement because of his his just vitality and love for the Lord and his life how it encouraged the other saints. So back there remember, he had this parcel of land, he sold it and brought the money and it was it was so good it says he just laid it at the apostles' feet. Beautiful picture. No strings attached. Here it is. And of course he was doing that with his life as well, and he's demonstrated it. So now put yourself in Barnabas's shoes. Here you are with the with the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Saul has come back from Damascus. We've all been waiting for him to come with Christians and chains behind him. Well there are no Christians in chains, but nevertheless here's Saul, what are you going to do? And I don't think the Lord Jesus gave Barnabas a vision, because he doesn't say that like he did to Ananias. I think Barnabas prayed about it, and I think the Lord just gave him a piece. And he just went to Saul, and probably just honestly asked Saul, tell me what happened. And Saul shared his testimony. And Barnabas, as he heard it, could tell through discernment, that, uh, this man is, is a genuine believer. He's telling the truth. Probably got excited. You know? And, uh, I love it. He, he's the one now that brings Saul to the apostles and the other disciples. Isn't that good? What a dear brother. You can imagine how Paul must have been feeling at this time. Uh, his former friends want to kill him. And now the only people that he belongs to, the believers, don't want anything to do with him. <laughs> you know? but that's good again he has nobody left but jesus and because he's got that he has everything he's learning the lord is this not all accidental the lord is raising up this man to serve him and to rely on him implicitly so here in verse 27 we have barnabas telling paul's testimony for him (laughs) to the brethren should be Saul, but uh, i guess he feels they'll believe him if he says it okay well after that's settled uh obviously there must have been a wonderful time of just swapping testimonies you know among the brethren hearing uh, saul tell how god had worked in his life and it says that he was coming and going in and out of jerusalem at this time and we can just imagine again there's so much behind these verses it's good to just kind of pause and think what must it have been like what what do you think it must have been like for saul he's back in jerusalem now you know remember this zealous pharisee that was out to murder christians can you imagine one of his old pharisee cronies coming up and saying so uh, i hear you're a follower of that dead galilean jesus huh what do you think he'd say to that <laughs> Woo. i tell you he'd preach jesus the risen jesus whom he had personally met he'd preach christ i wish i could have been there to hear a couple of these conversations and so it's, it's, uh, it's no surprise. It says in verse twenty one, He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He wasn't afraid. He spoke up. And he disputed against the Hellenists. The result, well, not surprisingly, the same result as it was in Damascus. But they attempted to kill him. And verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So Paul's doing a lot of moving here during this brief time. Get your map out now. So we get an idea of where all this is taking place. you need one, John? Okay. Uh, Everybody should know where you are, right? Here's the Mediterranean down here. You, You with me? Yeah, the one that doesn't have a label on it, Mediterranean Sea. Okay, Up here is Tarsus, up on the corner. You see it? Now, that's Paul's hometown. How do we know that? Because when he's introduced, when the Lord Jesus talks to Ananias, he says, you're going to find a guy named Saul of Tarsus. So that's his hometown. That's where he's from. We don't know all the details of his, of his youth and so on, but we know he learned under Gamaliel, the great Hebrew rabbi, and ended up, not surprisingly, at the heart of Jewish religion, Jerusalem, as a Pharisee okay as a man admired by his peers so he operated down from jerusalem and uh the last we saw of him back in the previous chapter he had letters to go up to damascus damascus is up and to the right here in syria you see it okay and just when he was just outside of damascus he had the vision and he got saved we talked about that last week went on into damascus had his eyes open was baptized preached christ there he had to escape went down to jerusalem that's what we just read but uh, they're going to kill him there too and so the brethren uh hustle him out of town to caesarea that's the port on the coast you see it okay just you know, you don't have to just nod your head that's good okay well the reason they took him to caesarea because it's a major port and they want to take him by boat interestingly enough up to tarsus his hometown could be reasons for that. Could be relatives there, friends maybe. But you know, I don't know if they're Jewish. If they'd be very sympathetic. But anyway, he's going back to his hometown in Tarsus. So we, we've made the loop. He was he was raised in Tarsus, and went down to Jerusalem back and forth, and now he's back in Tarsus again. Now, there is method in this from the Lord Jesus, because it's going to turn out that later we're going to uh, see in chapter 11 dear barnabas is going to play a part again because there's quite a revival among the believers up in antioch antioch up here near tarsus you with me okay and the the brothers from jerusalem say we need to send somebody up there to encourage them and and uh you know strengthen them in the faith so they send barnabas When Barnabas gets up to Antioch and he sees the work that the Lord is doing, he says to himself, and I think it's through prayer, I need somebody to help. Well, Paul's down the road. He's already helped Paul out once. And bless his heart, he he, he says, let's raise a brother up here. He goes over to Tarsus, gets Paul, and brings him back with him to Antioch. And there, for a whole year, he and and Paul co-labored together in the church at Antioch and later in chapter 13 when they're called we find them at antioch serving the lord and that is when the lord now says okay it's time to take the gospel to asia which is here it's modern day turkey and of course it's paul and bartimus that he sends so he's getting paul into position really for the next move that's cool the lord the lord is moving his men around as he needs building his church again the lord jesus had his side on here a long time ago and when it was time, he's moving his key men up here, getting ready to go up there. Okay, we'll refer to it once more here uh, with the life of Peter, but you can uh, put it aside for now. The, the passage today breaks up nicely into three sections. The first one we just read is about Saul. He's still, they're still calling him Saul. We have one verse in the middle, kind of a summary verse all by itself. We'll look at that. And then the, the rest of the chapter is devoted to Peter. Verse 31 then the churches throughout all judea galilee and samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the lord and in the comfort of the holy spirit they were multiplied i love this verse Uh, we have a bit of a breathing spell here the lord's like that you know um, he uses periods of persecution to to purify his church to strengthen the saints but it's not constant he'll give them times of, of rest too and by the way both kinds of times have their own dangers don't they you know persecution fear maybe doubting the lord times of of rest fatness laziness you know not relying on the lord so they both have their tendencies and and uh, we need to keep our focus on the lord no matter how things are going but right now there's a period of of uh, rest here and it's it's wonderful it's a summary of the lord building his church did you notice it there are two verbs here the first one it says the churches were edified the word literally means built up here it's talking about strengthening the individual believers and uh, building character and so on the lord is very concerned about that more than we are you know people sometimes tend to just make professions and worm a pew and that's it okay i'm done waiting for heaven to call me home you know the lord doesn't want that he, he has more than that praise his name he wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of him until his time to bring us home and so that's the edification here that's what he's talking about strengthening building up the believers in their faith but then it says uh the, in walking in the fear of the lord and the comfort of the holy spirit they were multiplied there's the numbers So they were increasing in numbers as well. So here's the Lord. It's a wonderful little capsule summary here of the Lord Jesus building his church here throughout all Israel now. Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, the three provinces of of the nation. Okay, now we're going to pick up with Peter, starting in verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner now we're focusing on Peter and uh, again here's the Lord Jesus building his church through Peter because it begins this way it says he went through all in parts of the countries italicized it just means literally all, all the churches in the area that's where Peter went and he's strengthening them as Paul would do, later do in his missionary journeys Peter is, is going around probably preaching teaching counseling throughout all the area building the church. And uh, you can go ahead and look at the map. Now this is an easy one. Paul, uh, Peter's not quite the wide rover that uh, Paul is. <laughs> because if you start down here in Jerusalem, just a little move to the left, there's Lydda. And then a little bit of more of a move over to the coast, there's Joppa. There's 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 Peter's wanderings, okay? <laughs> He's more of a local guy, kind of a stay at home But the Lord's using him in the area around Jerusalem. Remember, Peter is the apostle to the Jews. And Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So it makes sense. And he comes to uh, this man, Aeneas. And uh, if you can imagine, this guy's been bedridden eight years in Lydda. And it's so important, the words he says, by the way. He doesn't just say, you know, get up. He says, Jesus the Christ heals you and i love this uh, lord jesus did this sometimes he would command them to do something and here he commands them to make his bed how many of you kids ever had your mom or dad say make your bed come on very good how many of you enjoy doing that come on wow we got one two i remember i remember those days It might be fun the first couple of times, you know, but you find out no sooner have you made it up than you sleep in it again, and it needs to be done again. But I'll tell you, Aeneas enjoyed making his bed. I'll tell you, he had been in that thing for eight long years, and what a joy it must have been for him to get up, pull those covers up, tuck in the pillow, And walk away from it, huh? All because of Jesus. Praise God. And, uh, not surprisingly, the Lord used that then to again build his church. Because that incident, the word of it then spread, and many heard and, uh, believed. And as I was thinking, I like to just pause and think about each individual and each event as I thought about Aeneas. Um, it may be hard to relate to somebody who who thinks it's joyful to make make their bed but until you've had his experience you really you really can't appreciate it you know and maybe you're here today but you're not a christian i can tell you you can hear about it and you can see your friends that are christians and you hear about the joy in their lives and you see it you see the love they have but you you just can't know what it's like until you become a christian you know people can try to describe it to you and explain it to you but if you're sitting here and you and you don't and you have to be honest in your heart and say you know i've heard people talk about the joy of the lord and their love for the lord jesus i really don't know what they're talking about you know what you may not really be a christian because when you've had that experience you know it you know what it's like to love the lord and to be loved by him Well, he's building his church. It says, uh, again, that uh, many turn to the Lord. That's the multiplying part. Now we meet a dear, dear sister named Dorcas. I just love this woman. Uh, I love the way the Lord describes her. Listen to this phrase here in verse 36. He says, This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did now god doesn't waste words and yet he really goes on about this dear woman listen to what he says. first of all he says that she did good works. and by the way uh it's it's interesting that phrase is almost taken on a negative connotation among christians you know good works oh no they're not good that's bad you know you're not saved by good works you're saved by grace through faith let's not talk about good works well that's true when you're talking about getting saved but did you know that god is very interested in good works after you're saved in fact it's cheap grace to to think that you're just saved to warm a pew and then uh, you know wait for the uh, bell to go off to go to heaven we're so good at quoting ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast what does it go on to say for we are his workmanship in christ jesus unto good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them wow that says good works for the christian are so important to god number one we were created in christ jesus for them number two those good works were created by god beforehand i think they're pretty important god takes note and so i love this dear woman she wasn't working her way to heaven obviously she loved the lord it was out of the joy of her heart and her love for the lord that she was like this and if you were to ask her dorcas why are you doing this she'd be the first one to say look it's not to save my soul jesus did that it's purely out of love and gratitude to him and so god makes note of it this is not some neighbor saying this by the way about her this is god speaking And God's interested in it. But he doesn't just say that. He says good works and charitable deeds. Okay, he could have just said good works and left it there. Charitable deeds goes further. He's talking about others directed activities. That's what he means. Charitable deeds is helping other people. That's her life. I'd like to admit this woman, wouldn't you? But not only that. He says she's full of good works and charitable deeds. In other words, if you were to characterize her life, that's what you'd talk about. Her service for the Lord, her good works, her charitable deeds, the things that she did for other people in Jesus' name. Full of good works and charitable deeds. I love it. But then he adds this unnecessary phrase. He says she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Well, obviously, you know, duh. Why does God say that? He's driving home the point that this sister uh, took these things on herself to serve the Lord, which she did, ascribing them to her. It's to her credit. I love it. So, not surprisingly, a woman like this is going to be sorely missed. Huh? And so they send to Peter. They hear he's nearby. Actually, it's funny. If you look on the map, he's not that much closer than Jerusalem. But I guess for the case of Peter, you know he's probably more prone to go there now that he's halfway you know and so they sent for him and you wonder why did they send for him she's dead they must have had a faint hope that he could raise her from the dead certainly wasn't to attend the funeral they wanted her back that's the point it's interesting to me you know we have to be careful as christians because since she knew the lord she's better off where she is right now isn't she given the choice you think she'd rather be uh absent from the body and present with the lord or back in joppa making tunics and garments (laughs) duh whenever the lord uh brings someone back from from the dead a believer look it's not for their benefit ever it's for the benefit of those who are mourning and who love them and certainly he's doing other things he's demonstrating his glory and his power but uh, Lazarus, for example, Lazarus would, would have been better off with the Lord. But Mary and Martha were certainly a lot happier, and, uh, and the neighbors as well. Even Paul in Philippians, you remember, uh, he was imprisoned, possibly facing death. And as he, as he considered that possibility, he said, uh, much better to be absent from the body and present with the Lord, as he thought about it, right? But then he went on to say, but I think the Lord's going to keep me around for you i think he has service for me to do for you it would be for the other believers and so it is here so the the women come in and you it's just such a pathetic scene because it says they stood by him peter weeping showing the tunics and garments which she had made and you can just see the ladies bringing them out you know these these uh, clothing that dorcas had made and it's a wonderful thing about things like clothing because you can look at it and you can see the actual stitches you know, that Dorcas would have done with her own hands. And I can just see the women seeing her handiwork, you know, and just breaking down. It's a very touching picture.
1: And as I uh,
0: I thought of this and, and uh, their sorrow, I was uh, prompted with a question, what legacy will you leave behind? With Dorcas, of course, there were physical things, tunics and garments, but it was more than that, wasn't it? it was her life it was the way she touched the other believers that's what they missed now they they would be perfectly happy if she were just among them again and never made another garment it was her it was Christ in her will you be sorely missed by the believers if you die before the Lord returns and of course now everybody's going to be mourned for to some extent But I'm thinking of Dorcas here. What would be your visible tokens of service left behind that people would point to and say, you know, he, she, they touched my life. I can point to it. You know, I really miss them. Think about it. Well, verses 40 and 41 are so understated that we sometimes forget the incredible miracle that takes place here. Peter is returning a woman who was dead back to life. Of course, Peter's not doing it. The Lord is doing it through him. And he restores her to them. Okay, well, uh, again, the Lord is building his church. And of course, he's doing so much more than just seeing people say, Peter, he's working in Peter's life as well, don't you think? And uh, Peter's got to be incredibly encouraged from these two a healing and a resurrection. But as is often the case, as it was in the life of Peter and ours as well, sometimes uh, we'll have a real exciting victory, but around the corner there's something that's going to be a little more difficult to handle. With Peter, it's going to be something probably almost akin to dying. He's going to go and preach to Gentiles. And the Lord's preparing him. And it's wonderful, if you look at the map, he's preparing him as he is uh, Paul by moving him into place. Because... As the Lord Jesus, way ahead of time, had someone in mind, a Gentile, to break the ice and take the gospel to the Gentiles. He's going to have Peter started, interestingly enough, not Paul. And the man is going to be in Caesarea, if you see on your map there. That's where he's going to be next week. And Peter is now in Joppa. So the Lord's worked him up there, just down the coast, just a few miles. And Peter is going to be in for the surprise of his life as the lord calls on him now to uh, open the door to the uh, gentiles okay well the lord jesus is building his church here it's it's a wonderful story and it's more than peter and paul as you've seen and as i thought about this i thought about not just the, the main players but all of these what we would call secondary christians you know the ordinary guys God puts them in here as well to, to encourage us and to challenge us because Jesus is not finished building his church. He's still doing it. And there are still Ananias's and Barnabas's and Dorcas's that he wants to use, that he wants to raise up. Just ordinary folks like you and me. Each stone, as he says, is precious in his sight. And I was thinking of the epitaphs of some of these Uh, lesser known Christian Stephen he was just a deacon who died for his testimony for Christ what an epitaph Philip a deacon willing to stand in for Stephen and pick up where he left off what an epitaph Ananias the obscure believer who restored sight to and baptized Saul the persecutor Later, Paul, the apostle. Barnabas, boy. He offered two gifts with no strings attached, money from the sale of land and himself. He alone dared to befriend Saul and, bring, and brought him into the fold. And, of course, Dorcas, who tirelessly served the saints in practical ways. No better epitaph than what the Lord himself said about her. She was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. What will your epitaph be? What difference have you made in the lives of the believers? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these wonderful dear saints that you've presented to us in your word. We realize they're people with uh, failings and and, uh, desires and ambitions just like us. And yet, in another way, they're very special because of how they loved you and served you and served your people. Lord, we, we pray that we might see them as examples for ourselves and abandon the humdrum lives. Think of dear Dorcas, that she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Lord, may that be true of us. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen.